This is working to me. It is Wednesday, April 29th, 2020. I'm Kevin Cooney. Along with Mike Kern, glad you could join us as we get through this coronavirus uh, situation as best we can. Got a good guest on today's show, Shane Victorino, the flying Hawaiian uh, from member of the 2008 Phillies, also a world champion with the Boston Red Sox in 2013. Uh, arguably will be, well, not even arguably, should be a member of the Phillies Wall of Fame one day. Uh, has one of the biggest hits in Phillies history, The actually two of them. Uh, in 2008, the Grand Slam of CC Sabathia in Game 2 of the National League Division Series against the Brewers, and the home run right before Matt Stairs um, in Game 4 that tied the game. Uh, so Shane will join us. We'll talk a little bit about the OE Phillies. We'll talk about what's going on with baseball right now and everything else taking place in his world. We'll, you know, kind of look at what, um, what he thinks is going to happen here with the rest of the season. And, uh, so we'll talk to him about that. Starts a couple baseball shows for us. Uh, Larry Bell will join us next week. Uh, Larry, obviously a long time shortstop coach, former manager of the Phillies. And still a special advisor to the club. Uh, Larry will join us um, next week as well as we are working on a couple other things as well uh, as we try to keep you informed and entertained and, um, you know, all that. Well, and then on the second half of the show, Mr. Kern and I will uh, break down some of the things, some of the news of the week uh, as we get past the NFL draft. Um, uh, Tony Fauci had some interesting comments uh, to the New York Times about whether he thinks sports should resume, and it's a little bit different than what he said in you know last week. And pretty much it depends on testing. And uh, Mike and I will talk about that. We'll also say farewell to one of our favorites who is uh, retiring uh, from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, we'll give our best wishes out to Bob Ford. So that's all ahead, but when we come back and we get started here on this edition of Work at the Beat, it's going to be Shane Victorino, the Flying Hawaiian. We'll talk 08 Phils. We'll talk about his life now as a dad and everything else, what he sees for baseball 2020. That's next as Work at the Beat continues right after this. Looking to reach the sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way? This is Kevin Cooney. Each week, the Work It to Be podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports crazed town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now, your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Work It to Be podcast. Join us at 267-546-7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia, and you can be a part of it. That's 267-546-7277 or workinthebeat at gmail.com to join the Work in the Beat podcast family. And joining us now, one of the Hallmark members of the 2008 World Champion Philadelphia Phillies. He was here from 2005 to 2012. Uh, had two of the most legendary home runs in Phillies history. That's a long time to be in our town, Kevin. Yeah, it yeah. is. It, it is. It's Shane Victorino. Shane, how you doing? Great, guys. How about you? Good. How's life? You're in Las Vegas right now. What's life like in Vegas under the uh, pandemic? 
I think it's no different than every other part of the world. I tell people that, you know, I'm in quarantine. We're hunkered down just like everybody else, you know, going through the everyday grind. Um, you know, some, some, everybody's life's different. You know, mine's is based around children, uh, you know, and their schooling and making sure that they get their work in and their homework done before we start our day of fun. Because to them, you know, every morning you get up, it's fun. Yeah. You know, it's not really right. but. Melissa, my wife, has done a great job in orchestrating from the beginning. And when it all kind of came to fruition that this is what we're going to do, we're going to continue to get up every morning like we would be going to school. We'd go about our day. And she has a chalkboard that has all the agenda. So, you know, my son, being nine years old, he has some kind of identification when he comes down, looks at the board um, and says, OK, this is my day where my daughter, she's 13. She's doing her own thing. She's on, you know, Zoom and every other second. So. Life's no different, I think, other than, hey, what perspective of life you're at, you know, at that perspective. Uh, you, think, when think, you of were... the old, think of all the old people like me that have actually learned how to use this stuff a little bit better, right? No, I get it. Yeah. No, Kevin helps me out. All, without him, I'd be totally lost. And I'm, yeah. I'm lost, too. So, <laughs> Shane, when, when, you re, when you played, you talked about, look, when I retire, I'm going to be the dad. I'm going to be Mr. Dad. I'm not looking at post-baseball careers as coaching and being on the road and broadcasting and all that you were big on i want to spend time with my kids what has it been like for you to kind of get back into that father role full time over the last well, three mean, four years you know, honestly, Cam, the first couple of years was tough you know obviously because your identity was that major league baseball player you know wherever you went that was your identity it wasn't you know that kid that grew up on a little island in the middle ocean named shane victorino who was just, you know, that average dad that, you know, goes to work every day. And, you know, so I think for me, I was lost in the beginning because my routine of everyday life of, you know, being a regimented athlete to, you know, from a training to, you know, showing up for BP and meetings and games and, you know, uh, you know, whatever in between. It's, you know, first couple of years, it was tough because, you know, I get where people say you, you get lost. You, you, you find, you try to find yourself. You know, I felt like sometimes I was a loser sitting on the couch, calling all my friends going, Hey, let's go golf and let's go do this. And they're sending me a text back. Like, bro, we work nine to five. Like we're not <laughs> sitting on a couch, you know, like you're bored out of your mind because you don't understand it, but the rest of the world has a job. So it got to the point where I juggled. Yes, I did get into a routine of being a father, meaning getting up at 630 every morning on a weekdays, uh, making sure that the kids are up at seven, making sure the kids have breakfast, make sure, you know, I take my son with t I take my son to school. My wife would take my daughter to school and that became a routine. But ultimately, it was tough the first couple of years. But now that I've settled in, I definitely am loving, you know, the, the, the understanding of being a father, uh, being a be, being a being a role model, whether I understand it or not, um, and and you know, like you said, Kev, that's all I talked about when I was when I was playing was that when I was done, you know, that's what I wanted to do. And lucky enough, knock on wood, I'm having that opportunity. I had a career that allows me to have that opportunity. Where you know, some of us don't, you know, some guys, and I'm saying not in our generation because a lot of us were lucky enough to be in a position to have and make you know good financially. But guys before me. A lot of people had to stay around the game because they had to pay for their medical. They had to pay and get a paycheck because they didn't make the millions and millions of dollars. So I think that's how I look at that perspective, the trajectory of where I wanted to be and where I wanted to be post-baseball is exactly where I wanted to be. But don't get me wrong. I miss the game. I miss being a part of the game. I miss teaching the game. I miss educating the game. But it's stuff like this, Kev, that keeps me 
excited because I get to talk about the game and share my life experience. Do you see yourself getting involved in some way in the game again? Hey, Kev, I love to do it in a heartbeat, you know, but to me, the travel, I mean, it would have to almost 99.9 make sense, you know, and, and when I say that, it, it'll basically me taking out my summer calendar that my kids or my yearly calendar and go, okay, here, mm-hmm. this is my kids, my son's activities, and this right. is my daughter's activities. If you can make something work in a, over a 365 day that you think would make an impact on your organization, your team, or whoever that may be, I'm in. But think about that, Kev. How hard is that to do? I mean, unless you're yeah, bro- broadcasting, yeah. would be the one thing. Like you could. Well, no. If they if they bring a team to Vegas, or yeah, well, I mean, there's yeah, there's that up. I mean, there's that's it. Hey, there's a there's a team that's a half a mile from my house. The Triple A Triple A team. Could I take on a role with them or whatever organization is to help and be a two? Yes. But again, how much time is that going to take for me? Because yeah. when I do things, Kev, I pour my heart into it. You I'm do. Not a, like, let me go and, okay, I'll show up, thanks for the paycheck, and I, let me walk on my way. Like, I'm going to actually give you more than what you're trying to financially give me because that's just me. I want to make sure that the kids get better. I want to make sure that someone else, you know, learns from what I do because a lot of my experience in life and a lot of where I got in life was because of visually watching someone do it, you know, and, and, and learning that and that that action is, is, is hard work and not just talking about hard work. Like being there watching my mom and dad work two jobs and have to clean my mom's office on a Saturday after playing three soccer games. And I'm going, mom, I'm absolutely gassed. Well, son, you want your paycheck or you want me to pay for you to go to St. Anthony or go to get a good education? Yes, mom. Well, this is what, this is what you gotta do. do. Has to do. So that's my point is that not everybody in life, you know, and I say we all share different ways of how we reach success. My reach of success was because I've watched visually parents grind, every human being around me grind because there was no financial stability where we could sit on the couch. So that's what I'm figuring out now in life is that I still want to work, but I've also got to the point where my friends try to remind me like, Shane, you've worked your butt off for 10, 12, 15 years as a major league baseball player. You just don't get it. You grinded. You just don't realize because you were having so much fun, but bro, watching you from afar and how hard you work, Dude, you grinded. So sit back on your couch, enjoy <laughs> what you're doing, and again, be a father. You know, get yeah, that opportunity to be that father that you talk and preach about all the time. Yeah. So, so, Shane, as somebody who's been to Maui about four or five times and thinks it's the most beautiful place on the face of the earth, how often do you get back there? And when I was there, I did see your name. Like, was it your uncle or something that was running for? Um, my dad. He's actually the mayor there. So my father has actually been the mayor. And you know, and so you when, when we were there, when we were there last time, there was a waiter. There was that said he worked your wedding. Probably did. I'm sure he did. It's a small <laughs> yeah. island, man. It's a, it's a, it's 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 an island in the most isolated place in the world. You know, like I. It's tell awesome. People, it's, you know, so you know, if you grew up there, uh, obviously you know my family, you know my story. Uh, you know, and you know, as we're touching upon that, you know, that's the thing that I say to myself has been so interesting to watch is the. These, these amazing athletes start to get that opportunity to come out of the state of Hawaii in football and mixed martial arts and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, going back to that, you know, coming from a place like that taught me a lot about work ethic, taught me a lot about how I should be. And, you know, I'm more engaged with my father than I've ever been because I want to help him. You know, my dad wants to do the best for that island as the mayor. But, you know, and especially in a time like this, you don't have the accessibility to go buy PPEs and, and equipment. So, I have honestly been spending the last two or three weeks since this this coronavirus has happened a lot of my time on trying to help 
my dad get contacts to through you know obviously my avenue and my experience in my career to have accessibility to get PPE equipment because he has a responsibility. And, you know, two weeks yeah. ago, less than a week ago, there one, our main hospital just got, you know, big flux of a contamination. So you got 60, 70 people, maybe even more now that have been connected to that hospital right. who all have, you know, got coronavirus. Oh, so God. a lot of that's going on right now. A lot of busyness with that too. But when you look at, I mean, you know, there, there's a pipeline now, obviously after you came in, Marcus Mariota, made it out of there out of Hawaii and, and and you had Manti Teo's a Hawaiian who's had a pretty good career in the NFL to and now the latest what does it mean when somebody from the islands does well in professional sports man it means everything i mean it's it just gave me chills that actually just ran through my body you know it's just like you know that 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 feeling of joy and excitement um you know it's it's you feel like you you feel like you've reached the pinnacle with them because you know, you, you, you understand the, 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 the story that can be written. And I guess, you know, for me, it's I live that story. So I, I look at a tour now and, and, and Aloha uh, Gilman and some right. of these other kids that are getting that opportunity. You know, it, it, it humbles me to think that at, at some point you hopefully make an impact. Or you made an impact. Whether, yeah, a lot of these kids, if you really think about it, they weren't in their, you know, they were still young kids when I was doing what I was doing. You know, so they're going to look up to the ones that are more relevant and the more, but the ones that are more relevant, like you said, these kids look up to the Marcus Mariotas and the the guys who played in my era. And you say to yourself, like, those are the guys, and you see to yourself that while you were doing what you were doing, these kids were looking at someone that was, you know, that kid in Marcus Mariota who looked up to me. Right. So why Marcus is doing kind of doing what he's doing is saying that he looked up to someone like me or other football players that came before him. Right. And it's humbling to think, well, two is now looking up to a Marcus. So that's how the pipeline continues that way. It's like, yes, I'm not as relevant. You know, these kids don't really understand that play, you know, even after two and the rest of the generation, they're not going to understand what, uh, 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 someone like myself went out and was able to accomplish or work, work hard to achieve. It, it, it's yes, there's technology that allows them to view these kind of things, but still it's not relevant when a kid that's growing up now gets to watch a tool for 10 years and just basically try to emulate him as he progresses and tries to become the young kid that he wants to be because of why, Oh, I watched the tool at the time of my law, or I watched the, you know, uh, a Len Sakata, Lenny Sakata. Len Sakata was huge. Yeah. You know, for baseball, like, you know, kids like that or Benny Agbayani who was right in front of me who played in the World Series. And all I remember in high school was Benny and the Jets. And I wanted to be like Benny Agbayani and to finally get that chance and go, whoa, I'm living it now. It humbles me at a small piece of my heart because I, you know, I, my hard work and my dedication and my work and my craft is showing in these kids somehow, whether they understand it or not, because their pipeline has followed the pipeline that was set for me too. Uh, Kevin, you, Kevin, you, you got to understand when I was at like the last time, maybe four or five years ago, when somebody like Shane does something, it's like a headline. Like he right. could have went two for four and get in, in a on a Wednesday night game. You open up the paper the next day, they are Victorino so goes proud. two for yeah. They are so proud because I, I guess it's like sometimes we look at yeah you know, we get so many players out of Philadelphia that go on to be successes in some sport, but for them it's like 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 Shane said. And I think as we go forward, there will be more and more of them. It will be. I mean, that's the goal. But, you know, as I said, it's still, this is, 
I think it's it's every part of the world. Philadelphia right. has that too. It has pride. Trust me, when a Kobe Bryant left Laura Marion and became sure. the great basketball player in LA and, and he's all LA. No. In his heart and what he is, it's true and true. He's a Philadelphia kid. So it happens everywhere. It's just like you said, we don't have the dozens and the hundreds kids come out of an area that go on to play professional sports. We have maybe lucky 10, 15 a year from a state of, you know, two and a half million people. I mean, think about that. That's, that's a small, I mean, yes, pro, you know, ratios will probably equal it out. But again, it's a smaller place. And someone like me, I'm not even on a smaller island. I, I grew up in a place where at the time it was probably 130,000 people. I grew up in a hometown of 7,000 at the time growing up, maybe even smaller. So, you know. Shane, Shane Victorino joins us here on Work of the Beat. Shane, I want to ask you about the, the current situation of baseball before I get back into kind of your era with the Phillies. Um, some of the plans that have been floated by Major League Baseball, one is the All-Arizona plan. There's All-Arizona in Florida. There's you know now the East-Central-West where you split it up. You break down the National and the American Leagues and and all that. And how difficult would it be for a player right now? How difficult is it for a player right now? I just, you know, I funny you say that question. Uh, literally about a month and a half ago, I ran to Amir Garrett, Vegas kid. Uh, you know, we're coming. I saw this, you know, big old athletic kid come walking out of the grocery store. And I was like, wait, that's Amir Garrett. So mm-hmm. I went over and introduced myself. And I basically said this, quote, unquote, I said, Amir, I said, man, I said, the only concern that I have for all of you is that you guys were about a week to two weeks out. You've trained a whole offseason. You've put your body through a regiment. You were, and as an athlete, understanding that, like that week or two weeks, a week out, like I'm, I'm prepared to play 162. So now to have to shut my body down basically completely and rewind this whole thing, and people are like, oh, they're still getting their workouts in and all that. Listen, as a guy who lived it every day, and it's how I would, and maybe I'm speaking from my voice and not everybody else's voice, but it's irrelevant. Like it's, it, it's going to be something that's different. I think it's going to be a challenging time. Uh, you know, I've heard about expansions of rosters and starting with 35 to 40 guys, you know, from a standpoint of, and I get that. I don't blame them. Like, you're not going to, like I said, you went three and a half, four months of off-season training. You went through your whole regiment of spring training. And to get, be ready to be geared up, ready to go, to have to pull your whole body back and your mentality. Two weeks before back. opening day, right. Yeah, I, I don't know when, I don't know when the end will be. Okay, so now you give me three weeks, we're going to start end of May. We're going to be June 1st, start of the season. Like, bro, it, it, it's, I, I, again, I, I've never experienced it, but I'm just trying to say, like, for my body, I think it'll be a challenge. It might be different. So I think maybe performances might be different. Obviously, are you going to play 161? Will you play uh, 162? Do you play 81? Do you do, I mean, how do you translate all of it? What about pain? What about income? Right. I mean, there's so many things. Don't think about that. A baseball player ain't going to sit on the couch and go, all of a sudden, I'm making, you know, I, I had the dreams and aspirations of getting a nice little paycheck. Now I got, you know, that's only half. That'll weigh a toll too, no matter if you're making minimum or you're making, you know, you got the highest contract in baseball. How, all These are all the things that are going to play into consideration that I'm wondering if people are thinking about. How about the quarantine end of it, where they're talking about putting guys in bubbles basically for four or five months? Wow. I mean, if you are cool with that, I would personally probably stand up against that because one baseball season to me and the income or whatever it is that we're going to look at the big picture here, it's okay to say, you know what, shut it down. I'll give my body a full year of rest, and I'll be ready to go in 2021. I mean, to yeah. me, it's 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 you, so you're taking these people away from their families. I don't want to be away from my family. Bro. I'm a family man. Like I, right. I that, that the game and the what I'm making and whatever it, it's irrelevant to me. That 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 be to to not be able to be with my family. 
I think that, to me, if that's something that's being proposed, then I, I hope that these, I mean, maybe it's a different generation, but I, I as an athlete who, who I, or, you know, and I played in an era who, who would have been able to speak up and kind of be vocal about it, I would have been against well, it. Well, Mike Trout, Mike Trout has been against it. Mike's yeah. wife is due with her first kid. Yeah, I mean, come on, bro. Like, it's bigger than baseball, you know? I mean, I, I, I get it's a business. And I maybe, I'm, you know, if I was a business owner, I maybe if I owned a baseball team, and you know, I'd be thinking way differently because it is, and there's jobs that people got to work and go to pay. And, and again, I'm speaking from a baseball perspective, mine. And yes, I want to flip the cards and be a human or a person that I shouldn't say be human. I am a human that goes out there every day to work and understand that the logistics of, as I said, a father who's retired. Now I understand that every day, like not living in that bubble that you just said that right. I lived in. I'm out of that bubble. So to understand that every day, to understand that, that dedication and hard work that goes into it, it's, it's, it's different. I don't think it's something that these guys will be for. Maybe they will. I don't know. Mike. Shane, do you think there would be any trepidation from players from a health standpoint? You know, I don't know what shape our country is going to be in a month from now or a month and a half or whatever it is. But do you think some people would say, no, I'm not going to feel safe doing that? Or would they just say, okay, they're going to test this. They're going to do everything they can. I'm, I'm a 30-year-old guy. Even if I get sick, I'm probably, you know. And then the risk of if one person gets test positive, you might have to shut it down again anyway. The, the perspective of how I see that is, 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 you know, where and what this is really. I mean, we were calling it, we, you know, we're obviously making, you know, we're calling it a pandemic and, a, and a things like that. Um, you know, I think for me, I want to see more of a data-driven, you know, understanding like, okay, you know, athletes are, you know, ages a to B, you know, and, you know, they're supreme. Usually their, their health's at its optimal, the, uh, optimal. And this is why they, so, you know, are, are we at less of a, of a, 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 a decision maker or someone who has underlying health or if, if I'm just at risk, then yes, that'll change my outlook. But if, you know, if, if there's a statistic and that, you know, we're in a statistic driven world, if there's some thing that shows us that bubble that yes, that we're going to be living in is safe. Yes. You know, I mean, other than that, I, I, I think there's so much uncertainty from a, every perspective. Right. How, how are you going to sit in the stadium? If you can't sit, you know, what are you going to remove seats? You're going to remove every other seat. So now 40,000 stadium becomes a 20 seat arena, 20,000 seat arena. Ticket revenues go down or do you raise ticket prices because there's less seats? I mean, there are so many tangibles that I sit back as a former player and think about like what, you know, I'm looking at as a baseball player. I'm looking at it from ownership standpoint. I'm looking at it from just the greater good of the the, the the sport itself and what happiness that sports brings. You know I mean? Yes, everybody wants sports because that's a place for us to go as families to enjoy, to share laughter for two, three hours or whatever it is that you get to do together and enjoy. And especially in these kind of times, and that's been taken away from us. So I think there's so much uncertainty. I mean, I don't have an answer. My whole thing is if there's something that says it's safe for us to move forward, and I'm walking out on the field every day, I know that it's going to bring joy and laughter to families because they can sit on a couch and watch my game. Yeah, I'm in. But if there's nothing that shows me that, there's got to be a concern because if, you don't want to go this way. You don't want to be stupid. You don't want to just be like, oh, yeah, let me go back to playing baseball and I'm just at risk of getting sick and getting COVID-19 at any other human being. So, I, I mean, it sounds like at this point, everybody, doesn't matter what age, what group, animals are getting sick now. It's like, you know, nobody's prone to it, but – the statistics show us something differently. You played in three of the, the most packed ballparks at the time between Dodger Stadium, Fenway, and, and Citizens back during the sellout streak. 
Can you imagine either any of those places without fans? I can't, man. I just remember when we were asked to play that day in Baltimore. Remember after the riots? That's we right. Were, That's we were right. playing with an empty stadium, and then they ended up canceling that game. Yep. So I think we ended up, you know, we ended up not playing it. And I remember saying to the guys in the locker room, "But like, well, what's the point? Like, bro, this, just call the game. Like, there's, yeah. there's no reason for us to go and fix in a game to play in front of nobody. I, I have zero adrenaline. I, I come out there to perform, guys. I love when 40,000 is watching me. I'm there to perform in front of 40,000 every night. Yes, it's the game of baseball, but I'm there to perform. I'm an athlete. It's I'm performing. If you rather think about it in the one way or not, I'm performing, whether it was stealing the base, whether it was making a diving catch, whether it was running to a catcher or a guy up the middle, at, you know, when we could do that. I mean, all of that time was Roy Halliday shoving it to a team and throwing a perfect game. Like, <laughs> we're performers at the end of the day, you know, and I think that's the part where – it's just like LeBron and some of these guys said, no, it's different. You don't understand that when you're on the business side. But as an athlete, when you got to walk out there and there's nobody there, like, bro, that's not what it's about. That that family that you look up six rows back and look at the laughter and the kid and mom and dad high-fiving each other after you do something big, that right, you tell yourself, I want to do that again so I can get another family to, to be standing up and high-fiving together. You know, it's that little perspective of the games. I guess, again, maybe this is my view, and I'm explaining what my perspective is, but that's how simple sometimes I broke the game down. Like, by families in sections going back. Shit. Look at that kid crying. Now I hit a home run. He came out the next inning. Now he's up on his feet smiling. Shane Victorino joining us here. All right, I got it. I've been – a lot of – nostalgia has come back this time because of all the games that have been replayed and YouTubes and all that. What in your mind is your most memorable moment here? Jeez. I said this the other day. Someone asked me this question on, on an interview and I literally said, if you asking me from a baseball standpoint, yeah, it's so tough. But if you're asking from a career standpoint, honestly, the biggest and my most memorable accomplishment and not because I'm on a, you know, I'm talking to the Philadelphia radio show and all that stuff with my boys and girls club, you know, and what I was able to do in a community. You know, I think that's the part, like I said, a Bryce Harper, uh, you know, uh, a Zubo or Herrera will come along and some other great center fielder will come along and hopefully in Philly's history and, you know, outshadow what I did and all that kind of stuff. But knowing that I left something that a signature in a community that was in a dire need yeah. to me, that's my a nice town. Like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, hands down my biggest baseball club. Because baseball allowed me the platform to do that. Again, I put something in a in the middle of a little town in a big-ass city some 2,500 miles away from where I grew up. Yeah. Like, that's going to be there and, and be a staple of the community forever. So I think that's the part. But, you know, Kevin, if you talk about baseball, like, I humbly say this. Like, and, and, and you know, maybe I always say it. My, my proof is in the pudding. Like, you can go and look. I'm not just talking about what I did. Like, there's too many moments in my career that I was blessed to be a part of and to say I was able to do it. Like, you can go to my two grand slams in the postseason. You can go to the, the two two nights that I won in center field and one in right field and knowing that I was one out away from being a world champ, the baddest dudes in, you know, on a team that's the best. You're playing a sport that millions and millions around the world play and, and hope to be a part of. You're running down. You have a chance to run into a pile and be one of 25 you know, uh, 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 in the world that's enjoying that moment. And not just enjoying it, being a big part of those moments. You know, and I think that's the part for me, like, yeah, there's so many. I mean, you know, and not just individually. No. Let's look at perfect games and no hitters and, you know, things that, you know, five champion, you know, straight 
Division championships, yeah. You know, two World Series, one game or two games away from going to three straight. I guess, you know, like, it it, 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 it doesn't stop. It becomes endless when you really break it down. And that's why I tell people sometimes I get to sit there and dissect how blessed I was and how can I be unhappy in life. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's so much joyful moments that I've – and it's hard sometimes to really dissect them all because they're all so – each one has its own moment, you know? We, Shane, people yeah. in Philadelphia, we know how hard it is to win championships because we haven't won a whole lot of them. But right. when you look back on that five-year window, you sometimes say, man, we, we should have won another one or maybe Jeez. maybe three. I mean – should have won three. I thought yeah. we should have gone – I mean, I thought – honestly, we should have beat, I mean, New York. Uh, you know, obviously, unfortunately, it didn't happen. But I, I felt like going into that series, we really had, you know, a legitimate chance to beat – uh, you know, the Yankees. Um, and then even that year in 10, I mean, the following year, I thought we were the best, one of the better teams. And just, we ran into San Fran and they were playing great baseball. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, and then you go to 11. I mean, then, you know, we won 102 games. I mean, <laughs> All right. I'm going to, I'm going to test the theory out on you that I've had. And wow. I think I've told you this. Yeah. My theory is 10 should hurt more, more than 11. Um, my theory was you guys were so hot in 10, you know, the holiday no hitter in the playoffs, you sweep the reds and I, I look at the giant roster and you went one guy, one guy. guy. Yeah. Cody Ross, Cody Ross, Cody Ross wins game one and that's it. 11. Yeah. You had 102 games, but you guys were limping down the stretch a little bit In, in 11. You didn't play well in September, right? Well, Kevin, let me tell you this. I promise you, we didn't play well in September. And we didn't play well in September, but if you remember correctly, we started to pick it back up. You did. And you swept did Atlanta. Wrong, I'm, going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what we did wrong. And not what we did wrong, but this is just the teams that I played on and the guys that I played on and our mentality. I, I sat the last game, game 162 in Atlanta. And the reason why I sat in Atlanta is because Chuck knew that I always had great statistics against Atlanta. Right. He said, you know what, Shane, I'm going to give, you, I'm going to give them a chance. I'm going to not play you because you always do well, and we're going to, you know, we're going to sit you. And we remember what happened that game. I remember. Okay. If we had just lost one game to Atlanta. Instead of sweeping them. Gone in as the wild card. We would have played Atlanta. And Atlanta would not want us, did not want to see us. Right. Well, at least there would have been. We shot ourselves in the foot because then we let a hot ass team in St. Louis. Come strolling into town. Plus, you also so had in the roundabout way. We, could we have lost the, that series to put us in potential to face Atlanta and, and a wild card versus one seed? Yes, but that wasn't our mentality. Our mentality was to go out there, win every night, play right. every night, and you know we basically shot our shot a foot. So I argue it down at eleven because 11's team, bro, was a we but, were a bunch of all right. I mean, but you also have Ryan. Ryan was hurt going into the playoffs, and then he obviously right, right. He, he he hurt the Achilles at the end of the series, that's where I kind of went like, okay, it just kind of looked like it was not lining up for you guys. Right. The I just knew that team was good at what we had. Like, we could have gone without Ryan. Like, you know what I mean? We could have carried ourselves without You could have beat Milwaukee without Ryan? The lineup was that lethal at that time. And unfortunately, like you said, it, you know, it, it, I look back and you're right. I mean, eight we won. Nine could we have won. Ten could we have won? I mean, that's why I said a matter of one or two games, I could have potentially gone to three back to back to back World Series. I mean, think about that in franchise history and anybody. I mean, even going to two. I mean, so you know, if we sit here and dissect honestly every single team, I tell people this: I was blessed to play 
on some of the greatest teams in the history of baseball. So if it goes game seven in 09, what kind of game would that have been? <laughs> you would have I'm had Hamels pitching. Was it it would have been Hamels that would have been the starting pitcher that night. Because Lee would have pitched. Uh, well, Lee pitch. pitched game five. But who would Pedro pitched, pitched game six. Okay, Pedro was six. That's right. You know what? Play killed me. By the way, I said this the other day on. I was talking to uh, uh, some of the guys on uh, the the Royals. They, they want me to speak to some of their minor leaguers, right? Approach and you know on a podcast because one of my dear friends is is over there in the hitting coach, and I told him I would do it. But I told him it was a uh, it was game six in Yankee Stadium. A patented Derek Jeter duck fart ball to right, yep. and I lost it in the. If you remember correctly, Kev, I came charging in, and then I stopped, yep. and then the ball landed like a foot in front of me. Yep. It's because on the second tier of their deck, the lights were, were blinding. Yeah, so the, you know his patented ball went up in that thing, so I lost it for a second. I didn't want to overrun it, and I think to me, I still it, it eats at me. I say that was a big crucial play. Plus Pedro. It, it, Plus, Pedro was out of gas at that point. Well, he was gas. And here in Yankee Stadium, chat, who's your daddy? By oh, <laughs> that was so loud. What Ooh. made what made 08 special? What was uh, it about the the chemistry in 08 that was special? Man, I don't know, Kev. It's just every team was special. I mean, truthfully, nothing was different. It's just it happened that way. You know, we were able to achieve it and conquer that ultimate goal. You know, the rest of the series, years, we just came up a game short, two games short. But other than that, I mean... Listen, Kev. But you guys, I mean, you guys had a, you guys had a pitching staff that was not as good as it was later on, obviously, when you had Lee and Halliday and all that. But you found so many ways of, it's like, and Mike has said this often, the three big guys knew their role, you and and Jason knew your role, and it just seemed like that everybody was happy that way. You know, that well, everybody I mean, knew that. And I said, every year, yeah. I mean, 08 was different to everybody because we won. Plain and simple. Right. Okay? I, I explained it that way. I mean, it's just, if we wanted 9, there would have been something that stood out then. If we wanted 10, you know, and I think 08 stands out to everybody because we got to the ultimate goal. And that was holding the trophy as a team, as a city, you know, and as a region. But I think that's why it, it, it's, let's not break it down too much, Kevin. I think a lot of times we try to break it down. Sure. It's, it's ultimately, uh, you know, all those teams are great. Is that 08? We were ultimately able to reach the pinnacle and that will always stand out to everybody. I mean, you know, as I said, I'm telling you a, a moment in my, in, in my memory that being on the field, that was a play that changed us because I think they ended up having a pretty big inning after that one, if I sure. caught that ball, you know, and, and, and so it sits in my heart, you know, and, 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 and people probably don't understand that at the time. And, and, you know, and for me, it'll never leave my memory because I that always will sit with me because I was that close to having at that time a back-to-back World Series championship. I mean, that's that that does not happen. And not only that, against the greatest franchise, people will arguably say because of their championships yeah. in the history of sports. I was up against that challenge that the whole world was watching. Um, and you and you got to experience it again. I got to experience. That's why I tell people, for lucky for me. I got to go experience and then actually achieve it again. So yes. I get to walk away from the game high, low, high. You yeah. know, I, I walk away low. I didn't walk away. You know, Jimmy always busts my balls when I see each other. But now he's like, you know, you, what, are you going to talk about Boston again today? Like, <laughs> a lot of people bring it up because it's more relevant. You know, it's a little more in, in, you know, in, in a lot of people's minds when they talk, think about my championship, they remember Boston. <clears throat> Let because me, it's sooner in their memories, not because they forget about Philly days. It's just it's it's a, it's a sewer championship. Let me throw some names at you. Just give me a yeah. quick response. Uh, Charlie Manuel. What do you think Father. of about here? Like Bob. a dad. 
Oh, he knew it was better than the back of our hands. I mean, I really tell people that. Like, Charlie was like a dad. Like, he comes across as this boo, like, you know, country boy and like this haha. But, dude, he's one of the most brilliant, smartest individuals because he knew the game of baseball, but he knew us as players and what it took for us to be at our optimal, uh, optimal all the time. What was it like to get called into his office when he was upset with you? I, uh, I tell you one time, there was one time he called me when he had gout. I got thrown off from center field. <laughs> And I ran in, and I didn't know he had gout. And I, I pushed him, if you remember correctly, when I got to, um, shucks, what is it, Abe Rapperano at the time? I kind of pushed Charlie out of the way. Yeah. I remember Charlie, like, yelling the F word. Like, mm, and I was like, okay, he's mad at me, but I'm so mad right now. Like, I want to tell it off. Well, the next day, he called me in his office, and he goes, Shane, come on in here, son. And I could just tell in his voice, like, okay, like, what did I do? You know, I thought he was going to yell at me from being thrown off for center field. He goes, by the way, I almost nef, nef knocked you out because you hit me and I had gout, but I was, you know, in front of the whole team, you know, I didn't want to do it. But, you know, you, you did not want to be in, in Charlie's uh, when he was mad. You did not want to be getting called to his office. As a reporter, as, as repo- yeah. And as a reporter, we always knew when we got the raised eyebrow. That was when we knew we were in trouble for something <laughs> we asked him. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, Shane, that. We revere the 08 team because we don't know when we're going to get another. Yeah, just yeah. like we revere the 80 team. I mean, right. championships in Philadelphia. I get it. Because we, didn't ex- we don't experience a lot. Yeah. These teams are, you know, you could come back here 30 years from now and people are going to, you know, you're never going to buy your beers. Yeah. No, I get it. No, I, I see. I, I won, won what? What do we win? 08, 28 years? Yeah. I mean, I get it, you know. And I tell people this, you know, guys, one of my biggest memories of my parade is having, you know, these older folks come up to me. And, you know, this was, you know, when I say people like in their 70s and 80s and coming up to the side of the, you know, the float and looking at me and just, you know, thank you for the championship. And then they're like, and she goes, now my life's so clean. Now I can go to heaven. And I'm like, oh, don't take it that serious. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. I get it. That just, it made me have a greater appreciation and understanding of winning a championship, like you said, in a, in, a, in a place like Philadelphia or in a city like that. Because it doesn't happen, you know, and it's very far and few between. I mean, I honestly didn't know that the Eagles' first championship was in 18. I thought they, <laughs> I yeah. thought they had one before <laughs> until I started really understanding. Well, well they it did, like, but it was, bef- it was like 1960. There wasn't yeah. Super Bowl. I, I didn't know. I just assumed yeah. because it, when yeah. I went to Philadelphia, everything was Eagles, everything was greed, and everything was this. And so I – in the back of my mind growing up in Hawaii, I was like, ah, they probably won a few championships in their lives. And it's just how much they love football and what it's mean to the city. Little did I know, you know, as time moved on that they were just, you know, up against their first ever. Jimmy and Chase, what do they mean to you? I lump them together because they're kind of identified together in a way. Yeah, the heart and our leader. I mean, the leaders, they were the leaders. I mean, one was vocal, one was, you know, physical. One showed it and one was vocal. I mean, both showed it. One spoke more about it. And you know who that was. Jero was a lot more vocal. Chase was a, you know, Chase was a shower and less talking. His action spoke for his word. Jero was an action, but he loved to be vocal too because he was that vocal leader on our team. Are they both Hall of Famers? I think, in my opinion, I'd love to see them both in the Hall of Fame. I'd love to see Ryan in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I, you know, there's many guys on our team that, but again, when you start breaking it down and how and logistically and, you know, does, does, does the spectrum of how they view, you know, I mean, Truthfully, I was reading a stat the other day about Chase's career. Like, statistically, you know, he really doesn't have the, the, the benchmarks of what a Hall of Famer is. But does that, you know, qualify for what he meant besides that and what he did for his teams and, and made us, you know, championship teams? 
does that staple into the Hall of Fame instead of, oh, he has to have 3,000 hits or, you know, I mean, like you said, I his, think you're like, he have 2,000 hits. You know, his but, five prime years are Hall of Fame. Right, but letter. that's, again, is it five prime years or do they go over a longevity? Yeah, that's a fair question. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's the part that becomes hard. In my opinion, Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer. Shane, could you talk about, because a lot of people tend to remember the end of Ryan's career, which, you know, wasn't as good as the right. injuries, whatever. There was a couple years there, especially the year you won the title, where he carried you guys, and I think people have kind of forgotten how many big hits he got in big spots. And, you know, was he, when like, when he went up to the plate, did you just think, my he, yeah, something good's going to happen because Ryan's going to figure out a way to do this. It's this simple. I'll explain it even in lamer terms, okay? Ryan Howard was not on every national commercial around North America for no reason or around the globe. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, in the game of baseball, none of us really get national and, you know, mainstream, like, ads that are playing, you know, on Super Bowls. Well, Ryan Howard was that guy. So that explains to me what Ryan was doing off the field as a bigger picture was because of his result and how great he was. And, again, to get a national ad or a global ad, you're one of the baddest dudes on the planet. So you're the baddest dude in baseball. I mean, during Ryan's years when he was crushing 58 and driving in 160, 150, whatever it was, I mean <laughs> – Guys, it was a joke. I mean, it, it, it was so fun to watch, uh, you know. And as I said, I had a front row seat. A lot of times I was in front of him yeah. watching how far those balls were going <laughs> or how he was going to leave his bat. <laughs> yeah. You and Jason Worth were similar in a way because you both came in here unheralded. But you obviously both developed into huge parts. What did you know, What does Jason Worth mean to you? Jason was that 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 piece of that puzzle. I tell people like you got your big three, you got your three, four, five. You know your one and two are predicted to do what they do. But that guy that sits in that six, seven, and eight spot, that unsung hero, that that will shock you like a guy who should be in the three hole. That was Jason. Like Jason could hit throughout our lineup because he was a versatile player. But you know what? People don't realize about Jason where Jason where was out of the game of baseball. I was with him and with Dodgers when he was in you know early in his career when he was with LA. He was that outfielder that was doing all the great things that he ended up, you know, having in the second part of his career. Um, you know, the guy was on a fishing boat, fishing every day. And I would talk to him, you know, during those years. I'm like, what are you doing, buddy? Like, I'm just fishing. I'm not doing nothing. And then all of a sudden, he got the itch to come back and play the game, Kevin. Mike, like, think about that. He got an issue and got a second chance to come back into a game. So, you know, a story like that in itself is that, you know, it, it, it's a natural motivation because you know what that guy was up against. And because he overcame adversity and how he's performing now. And because he was so good for, especially for a couple of years, he had, he had Ryan's back because I remember there were times he was batting behind Ryan. Oh. So Ryan probably got to see some better pitches because they couldn't just walk him to get to, to worth. Absolutely. I mean, he definitely protected Ryan. <laughs> And again, you remember sometimes he went to the two hole. Yeah. And, it, you know, I dropped down to hit behind Ryan. There were some scenarios yeah. that, you know, Charlie had matchups that he liked that way. And, you know, he would drop down that way. Game five. Would, you know, it would, it would shift up the lineup. Game five against the Dodgers, I think it was that way. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, finally, Hamels. Actually, no. Cole and Roy Halliday. Cole Hamels, man. <laughs> you made fun of him a lot, didn't you? Oh, I did, because Cole was that. You know what I realized? Well, he's one of my closest, and he is one of my closest <laughs> friends. Uh, you know, we spent – he has a – you know, he's bought a property in Maui, so he's always over there, and we get to spend some time together when we're over there. But Cole, I made fun of him because he comes across as that Hollywood, like, uh-huh. like you know, when he talks to everybody, like, man, he sounds so, like, ugh. 
And I'm like, bro, little do you know, like, he, he, he might seem that way to you, but Cole is about as grounded and about as good a human being and a funnier human being as you want to be around because he's pretty – he's about as laid back as you can get. I tell people he grew up in San Diego. He's yeah. about as laid back, beach, you know, he grew up – son, that's his life. Like, the you know, the guy that you see on the mound with that big presence and that, you know, stature, that's that's Cole in, 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 in what we call Hollywood fashion. Uh, and he, and he's the one guy guy that's kind of left from you guys. Yeah, uh, is it? Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking because Mads and I think retired. Yeah, um, it's pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. And Roy Halladay, Hall of Famer. I think he's one of the greatest of all time. I what mean, was it like watching him get ready for a game? Get out of the way! <laughs> right. don't, don't don't go in, don't go anywhere near Roy's little bubble. You know, like. <laughs> I mean, but there were sometimes though that you would walk in the training room and he, you know, he'd look out, pop his head up, or you he would like smile and you know I'd make some funny ass joke because that was me or something, and you know he'd just be like ah, and this, you know. But you know, I tell this story. I think one, Kevin, I love to share. Um, it's one that sits with me. I think that will, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a chilly one. Sometimes it brings tears to think about. But like, remember Cliff Lee punched out thirteen? Uh, yeah. That his first playoff game. Yep. Uh, and we played the game after that. Yeah. I walked into the train. Uh, I went to go see the Cairo in the back of the weight room. Uh, and Doc was on his bike. And he was just pedaling, like, you know, just in his normal Doc fashion. And as I walked by, you know, and to me, any human being, bro, if you walk that close, which I walked right by his bike. Right. You know, and, I, and I'm going to the Cairo. He didn't even, like. His eyes never left the TV screen. And when I turned and I got into Cairo's office, I looked back up, and guess what was on that TV screen? It was Cliff Lee punching out Turkey at Yankee yeah. Stadium. Yeah. And I remember saying to myself in, in my heart, I told the Cairo, I, and, and, and it's easy for me to say because it went out and happened, but I remember telling myself, I said to, in, in my heart, I said, if Doc doesn't go out there tonight and outperform what Cliff Lee just did, I'd be shocked. And that was... His, and he went out into the perfect game. Uh, the the, the no-hitter. No and, yeah. and, and, yeah, well, he was great in the perfect game. He was better in the no-hitter. Oh. The no-hitter, he had situations where he got crucial. Yeah. He got out of it. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's playoff time. It's it's the whole world's watching. It's not, you know, some game one, you know, whatever it was, and in, in, in down in, in Mar, you know, Marlins Stadium down there in Florida. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's Citizens Bank Park, the whole watching. It's Doc's. Wasn't that one of his first ever? It was his first playoff game. First ever playoff game. Think about that. You, 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 that doesn't justify. And with that story on top of justifying what he did on the field, that he's not one of the greatest to ever do it. I don't know what anybody. And, and I and we had Todd Zalecki on a couple of weeks ago. Todd's got a book coming out about Doc uh, yeah. next week. Todd talked about the fact of what he was like the game after or that day after he lost to the Cardinals and not wanting to rip the not take the uniform off and how much it hurt him. And everything, but that showed the competitor because he was awesome. Oh, he lost night. to his best friend too. Don't forget about that. Yeah, and he right. was awesome that night. He was incredible yeah. that night. It, it, it was a duel that I mean, to me, that's one of the greatest. That has to go down as one of the best duels in in in, in postseason history. It has to. I mean, it was a pitch for pitch, out for out, knock for knock. I had two hits that night. I was the only guy with really the two hits. Two hits. Two, doubles. two out of five, I think. Right. Yeah, that's it. I, I mean, there was. I think we had five hits that night. I mean, I had two of them. I mean, and, and so to think about, like, the magnitude of, like you said, the pitch for bits, I mean, dominating offenses are just getting shut down by two bulls on the mound that I promise you are looking at each other because they're best friends going, I'm going to do, I'll do you. No, I'm going to, I'll do you. No, I'm going to do you. 
And I promise you, if I'm not mistaken, they went on an Amazon trip that, that offseason, they did. didn't they? They did. And I think that was a time that Roy had. But I remember, I think something, I think we got to talk about a Nike trip. That's what it was. We went on a Nike trip, and I, you know, we kind of talked about that. And it ate at him. That, that's the time I thought, I thought one of Roy's great moments in that, in a, I think it was the seventh inning, Kevin, was the seventh, where the Cardinals, like, loaded the bases. Loaded bases, and he battled oh, wow. out of it. And he had nothing yeah. left. He, yeah. was, he was, and he got out of the inning to give the Phillies a chance to still win the game because they weren't yep. going to score three runs probably, but yep. they could, you know, they could maybe get back in it. And he was just, and it was like him saying, "No, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let this get away." And there are many guys that I saw that when the time got tougher, got he got better. Yeah. There are there if there's far and few between that could handle. But again, it's what I tell people: it's his preparation. You know, six-hour plane ride, I look over to my left because I kind of sat near him, and he'd be just watching footage and taking notes. He had stacks of tablets, you know, from all the years of, of information. Like, he was the most prepared individual that I've ever seen as part of, a, a you know, Jamie Moore was another one. But, you know, these guys, and that's something I don't think that happens in today's game because data was given. Data given, was given to us by video and all these kind of things, but it was guys like Doc. You know, I sat on plane rides that would study our own footage to dissect it even more to understand what it is that we're doing rather than someone guy going, well, statistically it's this, you know? So I think that's the part that's gone away from the game that doesn't sit well with me. It's like, I wonder how much players today dissect their own and watch their own footage and learn about, take notes and write tablets. I mean, it played a big role in my career. Shane Victorino, uh, the flying Hawaiian who I had one person ask me a question that I want to get in before I let you go. He talked about you your throw in Atlanta in 08, which saved the Lidge perfect season. Is that the best throw you ever had? That is definitely one of them. I mean, that's not, yeah. I mean, as far as a magnitude of a moment, yes. Final out. Yeah, it was yeah, the final, it was out, final out of the game. I mean, that's, yeah, we, we, we lose the game. I mean, we, you know, or we go, what? They would have tied it, but we would have lost. No, it would have no, tied. It would have tied. But yeah, he would have blown a save. Yeah. So, you know, think about that. That guy had a perfect season. How many times guys have had perfect seasons as far as saves in, a, you know, in, in baseball history? So to be a part of that, the magnitude of that throw, and I guess at the time I didn't understand. I just wanted to make sure we won. Yeah, it was but like night in back, May. It was like. Yeah, and, but now that you look back on it, yeah, it de- definitely means a lot. Shane, I got to ask you one thing because you yeah. live in the playground of America or the playground of the world or whatever. And to see, look, Philadelphia's shut. So, I mean, we're, we're not. But to see Vegas shut. And and I know the mayor's come out and says, oh, you know, we, we got it, whatever. I don't know how you open casinos, you know, whatever. It's not but, that simple. What, I don't think so. Yeah, what? but what is that like to, to, like, be in Vegas and it basically be dead? Now, not in your house. It's not dead, obviously. You right. got, but it's just such a strange sight for us. To well, see I drove it. down. Uh, I went down on a Tuesday night. It was a rainy, you know, like kind of one of those days when it really doesn't rain in Vegas, but it was kind of, you know, it was one of those like intermittent raining, uh, intermittent rain. And I said to myself, you know what? I want to go take a drive. So I gathered my neighbor up and I took a drive on a Tuesday night, uh, eh, maybe 10, 10 30. And so we started on basically Russell is kind of the beginning of the strip on, on the South end. And it runs all the way down to the old part, but we started, got off on Russell and I made the left on Las Vegas Boulevard and, it was one of those sites where you say to yourself, like, this is when you really understand the pandemic of or what is happening around the world, that a city like this is not bulletproof. Yeah. So it has everything. It has whatever you want. I, 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 it, it was there was 10 cars in my little, you know, four lanes going down south for a good two miles, just 
10 cars. Were the marquees lit up or not? Yeah, they were starting the hotels. I mean, the lights were up. I mean, they were on, but not, you know, just to, not to see the traffic. The fountains, are the fountains in the Bellagio on? The fountains were not on. They had some of the buildings lit up. Like the wind had some like very strong or something like that. And a couple of them had the hearts, you know, with the right. lights made into a heart. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, to see a city like that, you know, definitely is different. I mean, I think when we come out of this, I mean, unless, as I said, study shows that we can go back to what it once was, then I just don't see casinos being the same. I mean, you sit friggin' on the next guy's lap when you're sitting at a table. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I don't know. Vegas, Vegas is the anti-pandemic city. <laughs> I mean, I mean it was, everything it was built for goes against anything. Unless unless you, unless you your president at the time says that, you know what, all conventions have to stop in Las Vegas. That was yeah. another one that didn't help the cause. No. I love Barack, but I remember that quote and a time that changed our city. And people, a lot of people here complained about it because – a lot of conventions ended up pulling out all because of, you know, the president making a, a remark sure. like that. But it's definitely a resilient city. It's back, you know, it bounced back from all of those things. I think we'll be back again. I think it just will be different. And then you'll have an NFL team. And we'll have an NFL team that I've bought season tickets to and I plan to go and wait, root wait, for. Uh, should I, who, who were you in? Who were you an NFL fan of before? Before I cannot say on this radio station. I figured was... that. <laughs> hey, that's my childhood team, Cam. That's childhood. I know. I know. I, I know. That, that team. Okay. I know. It's always your the, the one secret that people didn't know about you that some hey, of us who covered the team. Play, a lot of people, but I say this, okay? Other than when they're playing each other, I will root for that team in green all day long <laughs> I, because I understand what it means to win a championship in a place like Philadelphia. And plus you also, hold on. I still don't get why people here get so upset when a guy who grew up in Maui, for crying out loud, <laughs> like, he's allowed to like a hey, team. But that's what, hey, that's what makes you guys, though. That's, do, that's okay. Do you remember what, you, yeah. you were out of town by then, but Don Brown came out and showed up at an Eagles-Cowboys oh, game God. in a oh. Cowboys yeah. jersey. Hey, hey. That was the stupidest thing to do, bro. You don't do that. Exactly. Shane. But, you know, as I tell people, I will always respect that city. That city will always have my heart, no matter what team I'm rooting for or what it is. You know, I, I was truly blessed. To be hey, Shane. Hold on. Yeah. Do you ever get a chance to come back to see those boys clubs like that you, that you got started? Like, do you come back maybe once a year just to kind of drop in to say, hey. Well, you were back for know. Alumni Weekend a couple times, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been back for that a couple times. Yeah, it never gets old. I, I feel like, you know what, it ain't going to stop because we shared some great memories. And, I, and, and and it's a humbling thing to say it that way that I think for the rest of our lives, as, as, as like you said, a boys club or a, a family club that we were able to appreciate, you know, now we have families of our own. So, you know, hopefully someday we get to go watch our kids go compete against each other and we'll celebrate as fathers. But, you know, I as I said, it's an organization that is near and dear to me. I didn't come back and are, you know, to retire in that city because – it wasn't part of me and it will, you know, it'll always be a part of me. So no matter what team I love or who I root for, I will always love that city. And I hope that city will always love me and we'll, we'll, we'll tie it at the heart forever. Shane, I got, I'll say this for anybody who covered that era of Phillies baseball, you and Jimmy and Chase and Ryan were the ultimate professionals to deal with and awesome to be around every day. Thank you for coming on and doing this. I appreciate it. No, I welcome Ken. Well, hey, Mike, be safe out so there. Yep. All right. Be, be safe. Too. Best of you and the family. Thank you, guys. Aloha. Thanks. Aloha. Aloha. Shane Victorino joining us, and we'll be back on Work in the Beat right after this. Looking to reach the sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way? This is Kevin Cooney. Each week, 
The Working to Be podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports craze town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now, your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Work of the Bee podcast. Join us at 267-546-7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia, and you can be a part of it. That's 267-546-7277 or workingthebeat at gmail.com to join the Work in the Beat podcast family. Our thanks to Shane Victorino for joining us. Um, you know, Mike, in the open, I said that Victorino had two of the biggest home runs in Philly's history, if you think about it. The Grand Slam off Sabathia in 08, which was enormous in game two. It was, um, you know, it gave them the lead. It set the ballpark afire at that point. And then right before the stairs home run in game four against the Dodgers, he hits, um, he hits a, a game-tying home run. And uh, sat the stage for stairs. That home run was much more important than stairs. And I'm not taking anything away from stairs because that gives you the lead. But you got to tie the game first. Yeah. And, you you know, that gets overlooked a lot because stairs hit a home run. You know, I mean, hey, look. Same inning. Like, I mean, we we could probably point out 15 plays in all those series. You know, it's like trying to dissect the Eagles' playoff run. In 17, you look at the Super Bowl and, you know, you could pick out three plays. I could pick out three plays and none of them might be the Philly Philly. You know? <laughs> and that, that's how you win. I mean, that's how, you, you know, you win championships. You don't, it's no, no one thing usually. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, obviously then he has the slam against, against the, uh, the Tigers in uh, 13 that wins the LCS <laughs> for the, uh, for the Red Sox. So, I mean, he's had a really good productive. He had a really good productive career and it's going to be, you know, I, I, you and I have talked about the retired number thing and we brought it up with him, you know, to me, not that he's a retired number guy. He's not, but he's certainly a wall of fame guy. You would think. Correct? What number was he? Was he 12? No, he was eight. Hey, why am I, 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 I lose stairs was 12. Okay. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking of Glenn Wilson. I, or who, who was, no, who was the center fielder that ran into the wall? No, that was 33. That was Aaron but, Rowan. Yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, I, as I've said to you before, <laughs> I think the two, two of the most underrated parts of that championship team, and even the 09 team, and um, him and Worth, J- Jimmy, him and Worth, because Jimmy, the three big guys, and are obviously going to get a lot of the credit. They have to, and Chooch is going to get a lot of the credit, and Charlie's going, and Nola. You know, you had certain pieces that. You know, but those you mean Hamels, not Roll, not Nola. Nola wasn't around then. Oh, no, nah, but you know what I'm saying. Um, oh, God, the left hander, Hamels, Hamels. Yeah, I'm getting my my studs mixed up. Nah, that's okay. But if you had those two guys making no money, basically making no money, mm-hmm. when you got off the scrap heap, who were actually valuable mm-hmm. players on your team. I mean, worth it. Thirty home runs, I think, and something in um, something left when they left. Like there was something there, but it was going both, anyway. Yeah, but but yeah. but I think in their clubhouse something changed. Um, yeah. But if they'd stayed, I don't know if they would have been able to stave off. Oh no, the, it, the inevitable and and you wouldn't have been able age. to pay them anyway. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't have been able. I mean, Worth was just getting astronomical money through no fault of his. I mean, you oh. know, um, and they had, they had. I mean, both him and Victorino had to make their money somehow because they hadn't made it. 
you know, when they were winning championships. Sure. So I, I don't begrudge any of those guys. Yeah, I know a lot of people in Philadelphia really held it against Worth. Really? Like, come <laughs> on. I mean, if, if the, and I think if the Phillies had even come close, he might have stayed here. You were closer to that situation than I was. I think um, there was a window that they could have kept them in 09. But right. by the time he got the Boris in 10, it was right. over. And, yeah. yeah, they decided to double down in pitching. And I would love to talk to Ruben about it. Like, you know, Ruben had some tough choices, and that was one where he decided to go get Cliff Lee again. And instead of holding on the worth, and everybody loved the Cliff Lee decision, but obviously, you know, then they had to scramble and go get um, Hunter Pence, and that cost them prospects. And Pence didn't quite work out the way they wanted. They sent him to Frisco. They sent Victorino to the Dodgers. Victorino ends up back in Boston, and and that's kind of where it all started to uh, break apart. Yeah, I mean, you know, they and yeah, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It was just, it was. Um, I don't know what would have happened because your core three were going downhill at, at some point they were starting to, and then they right. did and there was nothing you could do about it. And I don't know if worth and Victorino had stayed here, if that would have been enough to make them good in 2012 or 2013. I, I don't know. Um, let's get to the current stuff going on. Uh, Tony Fauci was quoted in the New York times this morning. Um, saying some leagues, unless testing improves, some leagues are going to have to bite the bullet here. And pretty much saying... Bite, you, the, bite the bullet, what, what do you mean? Bite for your, the bullet, for not your season, not play. Yeah. Well, um, who, but who listens to Dr. Fauci? <laughs> I'm being serious. No, I know. I'm, I'm being, because now this is what it's going to come to. It's our country's at a point where it's got, because I've seen it, I see it on Twitter sometimes, like I see it on the news every night. People who say you can't listen to, to Dr. Fauci because he's going to look at it this way. Or Dr. Bricks, is it? Do Burks. I it? Burks. Burks. Okay. I always pronounce it the wrong way. I'm sorry. Um, Where they're going to yeah. be overly cautious. And yeah. I get the cautious part. I, and, and if you can pull it off, my God, go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. But they just go forward with like, like somehow we're going to be in a much better place in July. And we may be, I'm hoping we're in a better place in July, but good enough to do what we do. I I, I just, you know, I, I just don't know, Kevin. I, I and, and if and if all this talk involves no fans, fine. If you think, but there's also auxiliary people. And every time we hear this, the questions about the testing, we get two different stories. Right. We get the administration story and then we get the governor's and, and story. So who am I going to believe? Okay, just saying. Um, if they can pull it off and provide us with baseball or basketball or football, I mean, did you did you see something about the Premier League? The players don't want to go back. Yeah, I saw that. Okay, are they wrong? I mean, you know, and I understand there's contracts involved, there's money involved, but like if I'm Bryce Harper, do do I really? And a lot of these guys. I guess aren't in high risk groups. So, I mean, even if they were to test positive, I don't know what's the worst. That w- what, what happened to Rudy Gobert? I mean, you know, that doesn't mean somebody couldn't get pretty sick. It doesn't mean Joe Girardi couldn't get pretty sick. I just don't know how you do it. Um, but I guess if you're testing every single day and, and I, I guess I, I, I don't know. There was a, um, 
there, I should recommend to people if you have HBO or even if you don't have HBO, fine. You know, there's enough internet searches and everything. Uh, the latest edition of real sports was last night and there was a couple fascinating stories. Uh, one, I used to love that show. Yeah. I, I used to watch that all the time. There was a story by David Scott about kind of the timeline and starts from that, uh, a soccer match in Italy that helped really get that epidemic going uh, in mid February over in Italy, in Northern Italy, um, as a team kind of bumped up to the champions league and it, it became game zero is what they called it. And it went all the way through the Sixers game that night when the city was telling, when the city was telling them don't have anybody in the stands and, Mm -hmm. and all that and how, how warnings were missed and how could it, you know, you, we've talked about spring training games a lot. They mentioned about that. They had Sean Doolittle's wife who has a lung condition on and talking about, uh, that was one portion of it. And, but there was also an interview last night with Joe Buck, Mike Breen and Jim Nance, um, talking about kind of, you know, what they felt at this point. And Joe Buck has said something you and I have said all along. We could see no games at all in 2020 that he, he says, if you're not thinking that way, you're not attuned to what's really going on here. But people want it. People are, it's like, it's something to do. And I don't know if it's strictly financial, but I know the president is stressing it. And I think part of it is just to get people back to, Hey, here's baseball. Here's, here's mm-hmm. basketball. Here's, and, and that's a good thing. I'm not, but what you have to, what we don't take into account all the time is we'll say, well, we got to go back. You got to go to the lowest common denominator. If, if maybe you say nobody over 60 is in the ballpark. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Um, there's obviously going to be 60 year old people in the ballpark or people who might be at high risk or, or people like you said, do little as well. I mean, I just, you know, it's, it's easy to say, we're going to do it. We're going to test. What about the, the eight cooks in the hotel, you know, who are cooking the guy's food. And that doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to happen, but we all kind of assume it's going to happen somewhere, somehow, someplace. So then what do you do? Mm-hmm. Like, if that happens, are we prepared for it? I think that's what Fauci's trying to say, is are we prepared for that? If, if we are prepared for that better than we were two months ago or three months ago, when, as the president keeps telling us, everybody got it wrong except him, um, you know, like I, I saw a story today, Kevin, about one of the things they're discussing, I think this might have been NFL, was an interrupted season. Yeah. Like where you start, Maybe in I don't know September October, and maybe the season gets. Is do we really like need like? I, I guess my point is, you, you're going to suffer. Anyway. Do we need and it I, that bad? And, and I understand the TV money makes up for a lot of, but the TV money will be there at some point. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I'm, I'm sure the TV networks are going. To, I mean, with the Olympics, it might not be. Comcast might get drilled on that. Mm-hmm. But I, I just like what. So what do you put ahead of what? You know, do you put people getting sick? I get it. Ahead of paychecks is hard. And paychecks, we're talking about major league players. They're getting paychecks too. But I think they can afford it. And I'm not trying to be be naive about that or be, you know, um, contrite about it. But I think a guy making millions of dollars can can is going to make do. He's not going to be like the guy in Kensington waiting in a food line. Um, but it's just like... I want to be really, really, like, like you keep saying about these states reopening. What do they say? Be sure before you open. Are yeah. any of these states being sure? 
No. Like even no, with the even careful. with the golf courses opening here in Pennsylvania and in Jersey, it's opening on Saturday. Um, and I get it. They want to give people uh, an outlet to go play, and it's a relatively you know open. But that's a little different. You're out in the open. You can stay six feet away from somebody. Um, you know, when you open up a beach, we saw yesterday. I saw pictures on the on the, when the, the the planes were flying over. Or we seen steps. But there was all these people. So what do they think? They think just because the planes are flying over, now I can stand next to somebody. See, that's my problem with America and maybe the world. When you tell people it's okay to go back, they go back. Mm-hmm. They, they they don't go back cautiously or or. There's no governor on it. No, and and like you know, by all the models they're saying, even the models the president is using. So I'm not making this a political. It's his. It's right. his models. Georgia shouldn't be nowhere near to going back. No. Yet he gets on the phone and basically says, "Yeah, that's a good idea." He's pushing governors to open. And you know, if Alaska wants to open, I yeah, I guess I I don't I don't live in Alaska, so I don't know what it's like up there. And that's where we're at as a country. And there's no right or wrong answer. This is where I think people get all upset at you. When you say something like, well, I'm going to err on the side of caution. And somebody says, well, what are you going to do about all the people? Like, they're talking now about one of the arguments is that by staying shut, more people are going to get hurt through mm-hmm. suicides, depression, opioids. Sure. And I don't doubt that, that people are going to get hurt. Now we're hearing about where these, these nurses and doctors on the front line are committing suicide because they can't deal with it anymore. What are they going to be like in October? Or, yeah. or, and there's only so many of these people. Like, you know, if they start dying off or, or, or whatever, they can't work. Who's going to take care of the sick people? And I don't want to sound callous. I don't mean No, I know. Much, but <clears throat> if you go broke or close to, or whatever that means, if you can still live. It might not be living. It might be hard. But you know, people in the Depression, I'm sure, went through this. And I don't mean we should go through another depression. I don't mean that. But there's got to be a happy medium somewhere. I agree. Where we can go back, start to work. Because um, a lot of people, a lot of companies are going to do this virtually anyway. You know that. Yep. Let right? me let me get to the baseball end. And we talked about this machine. The, one of the plans that was mentioned was basically playing three divisions of 10 teams each. East, Central, West. Uh, expanded playoff. Teams would start in Florida and Arizona, work back to their home cities, but probably without crowds uh, and an expanded playoff, uh, ending in a neutral site playoff and World Series. Uh, and players would not be forced to quarantine. They would be able to stay with their with their families. Um, you know, Tim Kirchin was on ESPN and said, you know, any idea, you know, a lot of these ideas are bad ideas, but you may have to pick the, the best of the bad ideas if you want to play. And I think that that probably is the accurate description on this, the best of the bad ideas. Well, if, if you, if you, if you open up the, the, the stadium and let's say, God forbid, they do let fans in, which I'm, I don't, I doubt that. At okay. This point. So let's say there's no fans, but you have security people there, whatever you have to have. There. What if a couple people get sick? Are we just sacrificing them? Is, is that what we're doing as a country now? We're going to sacrifice people because we need baseball. Because that's what it sounds to me. And look, I don't think a month or two from now, the whole country is going to be quarantined. I, I just don't think that's good. I think by 
even in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, and, and Memorial Day. Oh, no. no. Well, I mean, they're saying South Jersey's getting worse. And Delaware is getting worse. Yeah, but I'm saying Pennsylvania could be Memorial Day. Oh, Pennsylvania, parts of Pennsylvania before Memorial Day. Yeah. I'm talking Philadelphia and the surrounding county. Let's say by mid-June. Well, let's just say by mid-June. We're not going to be, I don't think, in this lockdown state. I, I just don't. Now, I may be in a lockdown state or a semi-lockdown state or whatever. You saw the restaurants that went back in Georgia and there was two people in the restaurant. I, now, I'm not saying... It almost, hurt, it almost hurts sometimes worse to open. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But it gives people... But I don't know, like in time, so does Cracker Barrel by the end of August have 50% capacity? I, I, You know, I'm not smart enough to have these answers. My biggest fear in all this is that we have a recurrence and that the recurrence takes us right back or is worse, which is what Fauci is suggesting could mm-hmm. happen. He's not saying that'll happen. He's saying if we put the proper stuff in place, it might not happen. Or, but, but what I'm saying is that when he issues a warning like that, my ears go up. So again, that's just me. Um, because people will forget if you get to like August, let's say, and the numbers have kind of leveled off, but it's still there. You know, it hasn't gone, but it, people forget. You know, I'll forget, you'll forget. You know, it's 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 like any other catastrophe that happens. Um, you know, a month after Katrina, we weren't talking about Katrina as much. But the people down there were suffering still uh, just as much. Sandy, her, uh, Sandy, the superstorm. Um, there's people still suffering from that. Yep. Um, you know, so that's where we're at. It, not just... A, and like I said, until there's a vaccine where they can stick a needle in your arm and say, you know what, we're we're confident that for a couple of years, you know, you, you're going to be okay against this virus. You know, I. Um, okay. a couple other topics here. Uh, hey, one quick question. You're yeah. Not, your your wife works in the medical field. Yeah. What does she think of all this? You know, I think she feels like we're we're rushing it a bit. I mean, she okay. she. She's kind of in the same way we are that she, at some point you are going to have to take the chance, but this isn't the time. So, okay. Um, I mean, you, could you see us, Kevin, in August just be like, um, and I know this won't happen, but like where people are wearing masks and people are staying six feet apart from each other? Oh, I I could definitely see that. See, but I think I think there's a lot of people we saw it yesterday. I know. Yeah, I went out. I went out for a ride yesterday, and I actually. When you know, just to get out of the house and all that, you and I had talked about this, and I, you know, people were maskless walking around, you know, yeah. and think about a month or so from now or two months from now when it's 90 degrees, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think the 90 degrees has anything to do with it. I think, it's oh, I think it gives people more of an excuse to ditch it, right? But you're two months removed from being, yeah, scared shitless, I guess, for, for lack of a better word. There's a report this morning in the Athletic switching gears that uh, Matt Lafleur, the coach of the Packers, um, has tired of Aaron Rodgers. Uh, has tired of Aaron Rodgers complaining. And that was the emphasis behind the Jordan Love uh, selection. Okay. Well, he just ruined this franchise. I, I mean, I hope Jordan Love can play um, because once you say that about your, your – I mean, look. They're probably stuck with each other because he won 13 games last year. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
and and we you know we heard that there was a rift between him and McCoy. Maybe, hey, look, maybe Rogers is a tough guy to get along with. Well, Sam, I, I, that's a given, I think, at this point. Right, but do you think Aaron Rodgers playing with the team he was playing with last year has a right to gripe? Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm just saying, you're Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it was the same reason why Brady left New England. He looked around and said, "What are you giving me? You know, you're not giving me enough." For all I've done for the franchise, for all Rodgers has done, and I'm not saying they had to go out and draft. Think about this. The Packers didn't draft a wide receiver in, in a year where it was the best wide receiver draft It's history. remarkable. It's remarkable. And they didn't even really go out in free agency and do a lot of that. So if Avante Adams gets hurt, which he did last year, and it, yeah. what do they do? They're screwed. I, I mean, and I'm not saying. God, they don't, even, they don't even have uh, Jimmy, um, Jimmy Graham anymore for no, a tight end. And I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers is right. Because I'm not in that room, I don't know what's going on. Um, but but but, there, but there's a, there. If I'm him, I'm going. Hey, let's. Yeah, you know, we were a game away from the Super Bowl. Why are we planning long term? Yeah, I. Hey, look. And by the way, I have a new take. I, I think I've changed my take a little bit on the uh, Jalen Hurts. I don't think the Eagles drafted him at all to be the, like the guy in New Orleans. I think they drafted him because they're afraid. They they want this guy to be – they want to have a quality starting kind of quarterback as their backup. And I don't know if Jalen Hurts can be that, but I think that's why they did it. I don't think they're – I mean, they may run some gadget plays once in a while, but I don't think that's why they took him because he's not the guy in New Orleans. He's not going to run down on kickoffs. And Howie, and Roseman, Howie Roseman's been doing the um, – uh, I don't want to say the apology tour. It's not the apology tour. The explanation tour on WIP – he was on with Cataldi yesterday. He was on with uh, Marks and Reese on, on Monday and um, saying how he's surprised that people are acting this way. Well, you just, you did, you undercut your starting quarterback in a way. Um, shouldn't you be surprised? You know, why did, are did you surprised? The, did he address that part? Did, did, was that the first I didn't, question? I did not hear that part of him. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, I mean, I'm, I'm sure Angelo would have asked that. I, um, I, I mean, look. Hatley again. They're, and this may turn out to be a great move. You know, Jalen Hurts four years from now, what it may, it may, but I don't think, as, as Ray Didinger said, or other people said, if Carson Wentz goes down in game eight next year, if, the, if there's a real a season, we think Jalen Hurts is coming in in week nine and winning games no. like Nick Foles did? No. Nick Foles was an NFL quarterback for like six, seven, eight years who one year went 29 and one touchdowns, interceptions which nobody might ever do again, okay? So he did have some bad seasons, but he had he had his moments. This is mm. not – now, he might be better than Foles. Yeah. Year. I don't know this. But but to me, if they had taken a slam dunk guy, and there's no such thing as a slam dunk guy, but if they had taken – this guy's numbers were just as good as Jackson's numbers in college. Right. Just as good. Um, I don't know. Why did he go to 53rd then? I, I – you know, why didn't the Patriots take him instead of the kid from Utah State? I I, I don't have an answer for that. But the Eagles are a quarterback factor. <laughs> yes, so, they are. Just ask well, them. We're, we're going to find out. But I'm going to tell you one thing. If it doesn't work out for, for whatever reasons, it's how he's ass. Oh, it is. Uh, uh, but, but you won't know if it works out no. next year or or maybe even the year after. I, I don't know. Before we go. Uh, we want to say uh, a fond farewell uh, to, well, there's two bits of news. Um, 
we we want to send best wishes to Dave Isaac, um, who has been on this podcast a couple times. Flyers writer for the Courier Post. Um, Dave was caught up in cutbacks at uh, the Courier Post. Uh, no, don't week. tell me. Uh, no, 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 don't tell me this. Yeah, you're serious. Yeah. So they're just not going to have a hockey writer. Pat Miles. Yeah. Well, they won't have a paper, but yeah, I mean, th- th- yeah, okay. Uh, but I mean, he's good. He was very good at what he d- does. And you know. one of the best people we've met. And, yes. you know, we want to say, we want to say thank you to Dave for what he's done. And hopefully he catches. Yeah. Hopefully we see him here soon. Um, it just sucks that it happened. And obviously it's Gannett, which is the company. Hey, it happened to you, Kevin. It, yeah. ha- it happens to people. And let me tell you, if this thing goes on for a while, it's more people are going to happen. More people. So, and you know, I don't want to. I don't know if I should call this a retirement or a fair, uh, a a fond farewell. Bob Ford announced uh, this morning uh, that he's leaving the Inquirer after thirty-two years. Um, the columnist, a uh, lot of Eagles, a lot of college basketball, a lot of everything. Um, but Bob is, uh, Bob is saying he has some stuff he would like to do. And so um, Bob is uh, moving on from the inquiry and we wish Bob the best. And uh, obviously you work with Bob directly. Well, not directly. He's awesome. Bob is the great best. Guy, great guy to, to be in an event with, like to be in an event where he was at. And you would laugh, you would laugh. He would tell stories. You know, he was, he was a little bit irreverent. Um, the road trips God, were awesome. Feel, God, Kevin, I was at the paper for 38 years. Right. Oh my God. Um, he came from the Delaware County paper, I believe, yep. if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, Bob, I always look forward because Bob was kind of like the voice of reason. Um, you know, when everybody was going off on different angles, he would kind of, you know, try to lay the reality down in front of you, which I always appreciate it. Um, yeah. And I, I, Hey, look, he's got, he's got a great wife. Yep. Um, Bonnie who covers uh, Olympic sports for ESPN. Yeah, and they should just go off into the sunset and enjoy themselves. But look, if Bob has something in mind, maybe it's a book. Maybe who knows what it is. Um, Bob was I, also the best uh, person to be on a road trip with. Oh, uh, absolutely. Because you five, you would go to dinner with him, and, yeah. and I mean you know this. I'm not telling you. Anything. I spent five days with him in Arizona in the 2003 West Regional. They were awesome. I spent. I think he might have went to Augusta one year. But I'm not 100% sure of that. But then Buffalo with Villanova, um, what would it have been, 217? Yeah. The year they lost, um, we spent time with him. He introduced me to Moscow Mules. Yeah. Um, I've never been the same. How about, so uh, I don't know where to thank how about, him or, or curse how, him. How about Papa Giorgio's in Houston in uh, 2016? Papados? Papados, excuse me. Yeah. Oh, that, oh no. And then in, uh, the Italian restaurant in Buffalo. That we went to after night. Was that Dana's idea or was that uh, his? It was a, uh, the guy who used to be the commissioner of the Atlantic 10. Um, oh, why can't it? Ron. Um, he 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 getting us chefs, I think it was called. Yeah, was. He had said that was a good place to go. Down so the street went. from the arena. Yeah, and he was right. But uh, Bob. You mentioned that we eat well on trips. Yes, we do. Uh, Bob, Bob would sit there with a uh, beverage in his hand. Holding court, usually a hearty laugh, and um, you know we when we had Bob on earlier in the year, and we talked about the Sixers, and he was hilarious with that. Um, yeah, I mean, he was talking about how 
screwed up the whole situation was uh, with them. May have actually been December, maybe not earlier in the year, but um, yeah, it's um, you know, it, it's a shame because more of the voices that you and I worked with or worked around or are leaving. And um, well, we're getting older, Kevin. I mean, that's part of it. That's you know, people reach a certain. And age. in a case like Dave, it's too soon. Well, you know, Dave's a whole different. That that's just that's the. That's the business that got him. Yeah. I don't think the business got Bob. I mean, I think the inquiry would have been fine with him staying. I don't know. I, I mean, I maybe they're looking at cutbacks too uh, at some point in time. I, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, but he had told me a couple years ago when I left, he had basically said to me that he thought he had about a year or so left. He was ready. And when Rich Hoffman left, I mean, Rich basically, the reason he became the editor for a couple years, he had nothing left he wanted to say. Yeah. Yeah, you write a column for 30 years. You run out of stuff. You know, I, I used to be sitting there sometimes writing a John Cheney story and saying, didn't I write this before? Like, you know, yeah. you know, we've all been there. Uh, so he'll be fine. He will be fine. But we wanted to say uh, hail and farewell to both those men. Hopefully uh, we'll be hearing from both of them soon. I love that Bob one here in, a, in, the, in the short term. Uh, as yeah, because now he can say whatever the hell he wants. That's right. And so can, and so can Dave. Yeah. <laughs> um. So next week we got Larry Bell on one day. We're working on other stuff here as we uh, go along, but uh, yeah, it's uh, as we we I think we'll start to have a little more answers here in the next week or so. Um, I don't think so. Well, I mean, as far as like the NBA has yeah. said that they would right reevaluate situations. The NHL right. will, as we hit right. in the May. But yeah. you'll have answers, but all the answers will be pushing it off them. Con- no, it'll be contingent answers. They'll yeah. be like. Yeah, we're looking at June fifteenth to do this, and you'll be like, okay, yeah, fine. And and you know, if there's a setback on May the twenty seventh that we can't foresee, then no. Then we start again. Then you start again. All right, Michael. Yeah, babe. Thank you for joining us here on the show. Thanks to Shane Victorino for joining us as well. Have a good weekend, everybody. We'll see you next week here on We're Gonna Beat. <laughs>